phrase a lot. It's been really meaningful to me personally. The, we use this word, we have a responsibility. Think about the word. It's responsibility. It's our God-given ability to respond in a certain situation. So if your loved one or friend is tempting you to compromise, you have the God-given ability to respond to that invitation. In architecture, the cornerstone is the first stone laid. And it sets the guidelines for every stone that follows. Today, Pastor Daniel explains that Jesus is the cornerstone for your life, the most important thing. Everything else in your life is settled in relation to Jesus. So when other people ask why your faith is such a big deal, you can tell them that without Jesus, everything else falls apart. He is your foundation, your starting point for the whole of your life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 13 as he continues his message, Don't Mess Around. If your brother, the son of your mother, the son of your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is as your own soul secretly entices you, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers of the gods of the people, which are all around you, near to you or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you. So now it's about somebody who is close to you, whether it's a brother or the son of your mom or the son of your daughter, or it says here, the wife of your bosom, which is a Hebrew way of saying the woman who you cherish what you hold towards your bosom like a mother does her child. The wife of your bosom is the woman that you cherish. That's what it means in the Hebrew idiom, right? Or a, a close friend, a friend who it says here is as your own soul. We have an example of that in the Bible, don't we? Where David's, when he was a young man, his good friend was the son of King Saul. His name was Jonathan and it says that David loved Jonathan as his own soul. Now we live in a day and age where people say, oh, well, David and Jonathan were homosexuals. And I'm just here to tell you, that's just bad history. What it means is that they were like bosom buddies, close friends. That's what it means. They cared about one another. They were thickest thieves. They were like freaking frack. We have all these words, you know what I mean? For people who are like, everybody have friends like that? I hope so. We have those people who they're just close with you. You just know them really, really well. He says, listen, if those folks do it, if they say to you, come on, let's go serve other gods, which you have not known. The gods of the people, you know, all around, the gods of the far away. Notice what it says to them, to do not consent to go with them. Now, let's be honest. The peer pressure of close friends and family members is very, very challenging. 
Like, I think of my own family. I grew up in a, an extraordinarily loving Italian family. Now, listen, I'm all Italian. So when I was born, when I made my first confirmation, I got me a gold chain with a big cross on it and an Italian horn. And then when I was a little bit older, then they sat me down and made me watch the first two Godfather movies. It's like my socialization. You know what I mean? And so it was all good. Like every, you know, you go into the house, everyone's got a cross on, everyone's got a picture of Jesus somewhere, but God forbid you actually go to church a couple times a week and read your Bible, and then all of a sudden you're in a cult. Like literally, when I came to know Jesus, when I got radically saved, right, and I was pursuing a career in music, it's amazing that when your family doesn't really follow Jesus, there's nothing worse than having a kid who's a professional musician, but there's nothing worse than having a kid who's a professional musician than have a kid who wants to become a pastor, and literally, and I love my family. My family loves me, but I was living on the opposite coast and like, what, you left music and you're going into the ministry, you know? And all of a sudden, my aunt flies out. She shows up out of nowhere. You know what I mean? She wants to make sure I'm out in a cult or something. You know what I mean? And literally, and like for years, my dad's like, I want to give you a Christmas present. You're going to give it to the church? I'm like, well, yeah, dad, my bank account's the church's bank account. And like, what are you talking about? But he didn't know any better. But listen, and then there's all the pressure that comes. Your friends who don't want you to really follow hard after Jesus. The people who you party down with a little bit. And then you start following Jesus. And they're like, yeah, you know, like, you got to stop doing that. You were so much more fun before you were following Jesus. And all the pressure starts coming. Isn't it a real reality? And for a lot of people, your friends are more important than God who came to redeem you. There's some of you here right now. This is you. Maybe it's not go worship some other gods. No, no, no. Just don't be an on-fire Christian. Don't be the kind of person who says, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to start dreaming about my life, not just doing barbecues every Sunday, but I want to bring the gospel cross-culturally, or I'm going to stop doing these things that we always plan on doing. I'm going to sell my 97 jet skis, and I'm going to keep one so that I can send that money to Lebanon or to help fund a project. I still got one set of jet skis, so I'm going to be fine. But you can buy the boat. You can have the expenses. I'm just going to come hang out with you. But I'm going to use my money on other things, like helping people who are starving get fed because Jesus is real, and I want people to be different. But then your friends start being like, whoa, 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 hold on. You know, like, don't be doing that. I mean, follow Jesus, but like, not like that. And I can share, I've had these conversations with people. Like, why does it have to be so important? I'm like, listen, if Jesus is real, then this is the most important thing in the world. And everything flows out of this. See, that's the thing for me. Everything flows out of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. Everything about life flows out of that reality. And whatever is the fountain through which everything flows is quite important, isn't it? You know, I bet there's some of you in here right now, you're actually the friend who's trying to hold someone back right now. That you're the person, you have someone who God, a close friend, God is doing something in their life, and you're like, well, hold, hold on. Like, I mean, that's cool. Like, well, go to Crossroads on Wednesday night. You know, it's cool, it's funny when it gets a little crazy, like, and stuff, but like, but like, let's not like really get like that. Now, if that's you, if that's you, this is what your friend's supposed to do to you. Verse 8 and 9, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eyes pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. <laughs> so let the killings begin. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I'm kidding. But again, because this is so significant and serious, 
And not only says you should kill him, but it says this, your hand, verse nine, shall be the first against him to put him to death. Then afterward, the hands of the people, and you shall stone him with stones until he dies. Now listen, this is capital punishment by stoning. And it says stone with stones, as I always say, not stoned with weed. Listen, we live in Washington, so it's like, I gotta say this stuff, you know? It did say stone with stones, right? And so literally the idea was the person who brought the charge against them would be the first person to have to cast the first stone. And so the idea here is that if you can be a person who can try and stumble somebody close to you, then you are an influence that will have a negative impact on the entire community. It reminds us of Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, where it says, he who loves his father or his mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See, Jesus has to be more important than your family, than your close friends. Like, because Jesus is the fountain through which everything flows. If your family or your close friends are more important than Jesus, then you're not worthy to call him Lord because he's really not your Lord. Your family or your friends is your Lord. They're the fountain through which everything flows. And this also reminds us of Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, whoever causes these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if he had a millstone hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. A millstone was a rock that was very heavy, probably about 100 pounds. He's saying, if you're one of those people who puts a stumbling block in front of other people, it'd be better for you if you got drowned in the sea, weighed down by a big anchor. That's how the Lord feels about this. But brothers and sisters, are you either A, allowing your friends to lead you into a compromised way of living, or B, are you one of those people who is causing someone compromise. Now, you guys realize that when we get into the New Testament, especially in John chapter 8, when they catch that woman in the act of adultery, and they want her to be stoned, and Jesus said, listen, that he was without sin, cast the first stone. That's important to bring up at this juncture, because we all, maybe it's not in this area, but in another area, have the opportunity to be purveyors of compromise, we all can be. And let's be honest, we probably all have been in different ways in our lives. So rather than picking up the stone to kill the compromiser, we need to say, Lord, I don't want to live in a compromised way. Lord, I want to be an encourager for people to follow hard after Jesus. See, and I think maybe more than anything, as I thought about this, preparing for this message, is that each one of us has an impact on a lot of people around us. None of us live in a vacuum, and not like a vacuum that you do your carpet with, but the idea on your, on your own. Each one of us impact families and friends and coworkers and neighbors. And, and so each one of us, our lives are destined for impact in that way. And when we live compromised, then we don't have the impact that God created us to have. That you don't have the impact on your community in your world that God has desired and designed you to have. And that brings less than what God wants into the world through our lives. And I think I could probably speak for all of us to say that this is kind of depressing. Like, man... 
But brothers and sisters, listen, we're studying this because all this is written for our admonition. And if you've been compromised, even today, God wants to do a work in you right now. We are here today hearing his word so that we will act on it, so that we will say, Lord, I am turning away from a life of compromise and I'm turning to you and I'm coming home again saying, Lord, please forgive me that I have failed. And you know what happens when you do that? He's been waiting for us to make that turn. He's been waiting for you to hear this word and say, I am not going to be a negative influence in this world anymore. I am going to become the person that Jesus died and rose again that I would be, that God created me to be in my mother's womb. And I'm not going to let anything hinder that because I realize that my life is already having an impact and I actually want it to have the impact that God wants it to have, not some sort of compromised impact. Does that make sense? Amen. I also realized that we're talking about relationships and friends. And I've been using this phrase a lot. It's been really meaningful to me personally. The, we use this word, we have a responsibility. Think about the word. It's responsibility. It's our God-given ability to respond in a certain situation. So if your loved one or friend is tempting you to compromise You have the God-given ability to respond to that invitation in the negative. To say, you know, I do love you, and your life is your own, but one, I can't do that because I'm following Jesus, and two, I don't think you should either because I love you. And that is your responsibility. You don't have to give in. You choose to give in. And so let's grab hold of that God-given responsibility to react to whatever those invitations are in a way that brings glory to Jesus. And that is our responsibility. You choose to respond to everything, however it is that you respond to it. Nobody makes you do it. Sure, other people might set the stage for a patterned response, but you can always make a new pattern response. It doesn't have to be the same old thing. Why? Because Jesus said that where his spirit is, there is freedom. And we sang about it, that we have the freedom to make a whole new set of choices, given the same exact invitation to compromise. So make a new one. And listen, I walk through this as a young believer. I mean, I'd been smoking weed all the time growing up, like all the time. And I remember that was just part of my lifestyle. I remember I started following Jesus. I was like, man, I can't do this. This this honors the Lord. And I remember the battle that I went through to try and stop waking up and smoking weed, you know, eating lunch and smoking weed, smoking weed before lunch, after lunch. You know, I was playing music. You know, can I play music when when, when I'm sober? I didn't know how to do this. I mean, I literally even called up a buddy of mine who was a drug dealer and said, if I call you and ask for drugs, just hang up on me. I'm like, and he's like, really? He's like, you're like my best customer, you know? <laughs> That's what he said. I'm like, listen, are we friends? He's like, yeah. I'm like, if you're really my friend, you'll hang up on me. You know what he did? He totally hung up on me. One time he cussed and then he hung up on me. You know what I mean? Like, he was just like, you know? But he was my friend. And I had to learn how to respond differently to the temptations that I'd always given into one way. And I'm here to tell you that it wasn't easy and it wasn't neat but it got the job done i haven't smoked weed in 16 years praise god praise god and this was every day all day every day you know what i mean 
And I praise God for that. But it was hard. But I know that it's possible because Jesus is real. And you don't have to just give in in the same old ways. You can make new decisions. And God is encouraging you too. Now, I have this last little section here that I want us to look at. So look at what it says in verse 12. It says, If you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of the city, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is true and certain that such an abomination was committed against you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword utterly destroying it, all that is in it, and its livestock with the edge of the sword. Verse 16, and you shall gather all its plunder into the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all of its plunder for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, have compassion on you and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all of his commandments, which I command you today to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. So now we have this idea of once they go into the promised land, they're going to settle into communities. And the land that God was giving them was expansive. So right now they've been traveling for this time as a whole clan through the wilderness. And when they go and they settle in, what happens if a city that's 100 miles away, all of a sudden the whole city gets enticed and goes away? What should you do? And it says, first you should inquire. I'll always love that. Ask, don't assume. That's my takeaway from that. Ask, don't assume. Ask questions rather assuming. And I'm here to tell you, what I've learned in my life is that 90% of the assumptions I make are totally wrong. And if that's 90% for me, then it's probably 80% for you. It's like most of the time, we just have the wrong assumptions about people. We misassume their motives. We misassume what they're trying to do. But we're so convinced in our minds. So always ask, don't assume. So when you hear a story about someone, don't just assume that it's true. You might want to ask somebody, and preferably them. Because if it came from somebody else, it's probably gossip anyway, which is no bueno. You know what I'm saying? And so first you ask, you make an inquiry. But if you find out that an entire city has fallen into apostasy or fallen away from the Lord, then you go, I get it, you kill them all, and you burn everything. That's what it says. Now, why? Because now you have an entire city that is in the exact same spiritual place as all the high places and all the things that they were told to burn in the last chapter, except the only difference is instead of being people who God is dispossessing from the land, it's the very people who God redeemed and brought into the land, and now they've completely turned away. Now, to me, this speaks of the idea of a community or a region or a nation that has gone into apostasy. And I just want to give you a few things to think about. I made the case that American culture is secularized, which means American culture as a culture, and I don't think America is unique in this. I think Europe went the same way before that. And you go through all the world and you have these things, is that there is a prevailing religion in America, and it's called secularism. It's that you can't have a belief in a true and living God who is the only way, right? Our culture says that is an unacceptable belief. But what's amazing is, is the only privileged belief is that belief, which is the one that they hold. So what's amazing is in a secular culture of tolerance, does anybody think our culture is really tolerant? 
If you think our culture is tolerant, just read the comment section on any political article. And you'll realize that America's tolerant culture is the most intolerant culture that ever lived. It is literally going to lead to civil war. Because secularism says you can believe whatever you want as long as it fits in my system for you. And that's the world that we live in. There is an overarching belief structure in our culture now that says, and if you have to believe this, and if you don't believe this, you will lose your job. We will pull you off of a sports network. We will do all these things. And we're seeing it every single day, every single day in our culture. Just watch the news. But I'm here to tell you this, my friends. The reason our culture got here is because the people of God became ghettoized. We had our buildings. We stayed in our buildings. We loved our time. We had our potlucks. I'm not knocking potlucks. You know I like me a good potluck. You know what I mean? It's like, but we, we stayed together. And a secular community said, do not bring your faith into the public square, which don't miss the fact that's their faith in the public square. And the church said, okay, we won't. And we pulled everything back. And then this thing grows, and it grows, and it makes it into schools. Now our kids in public school are getting this stuff pumped into them every single day. And then what happens is, is although we were pulled away in a nice little church thing, all of a sudden, because it's everywhere, now it's making its way right into right where we... So brothers and sisters, you know what our plan is to deal with this? We're taking it public all over again. We're going back out into the community. We are not, listen, amen. And brothers and sisters, not in like some sort of militant way, not in some sort of angry way. We're going public with the love of God in Christ Jesus. We're going public with, look, we don't necessarily agree with you, but we're going to bless you anyway. And you know what? You don't agree with what we believe. We love you. And we're going to serve you. And we're going to help you. And you know what? Yeah, we don't agree with you. And you know what? We're not even telling you that you have to agree with us but we're going to let our light so shine before men that they're going to see our good works through the for our Father in heaven. And we're going to also tell them why we're doing it. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to say, look, we are doing this because we follow Jesus. And if you don't follow Jesus, listen, we think that you should, but we're going to serve you anyway. We're not going to serve you because you deserve it because Jesus came and died for us and we didn't deserve it. And we don't deserve it today. And we've been walking with them for a while. So we are going to love you proactively. And if, even if you don't like it, it's okay because our love for you is not predicated on you loving us back. You know why? Because God's love for us is not predicated on if we love him back. He loves us because love is who he is at the essence of his nature. Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel continued in this series called Blueprint, which lays out the guidelines for life that God gave the Israelites. In this message, you took a look at the outside influences that can discourage you from following Jesus with your whole life. You learned that the secular culture in this country has taken over. Pastor Daniel shared that our response should be to openly share God's overwhelming love with the people around you. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It's such an amazing honor to share God's word and I love seeing how God is working through this ministry. Would you partner with us? I'd love for you to join us in sharing the message that Jesus is real by being a prayer partner or financial supporter. Find out more by visiting our website, 
jesusisrealradio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to jesusisrealradio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will talk about some different aspects of family life that are brought up in Deuteronomy 14. You'll explore what it means to be part of God's family, special to Him. Pastor Daniel will also take a look at the topic of grief. He'll remind you that followers of Jesus can grieve differently than the world. We have hope because of the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of eternity. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Blueprint. Until then, may God bless.